So this morning, I, obviously, I want to thank everybody for being here. This morning, we're going to talk about two very ordinary people. Ordinary people that God did some amazing things through. Now, the first person is Mary, and the other person is Joseph. And again, as I said, both were average, everyday people. In their time, if you were lived in Nazareth, you saw them walking by, they wouldn't stand out any different than anybody else. They were normal, that is, until God came into the picture and he spoke his plan over their lives, and the world was changed forever. Not just their world, but ours too. Each one of us is here because they answered God's call. So this evening, again, we're going to look at two ordinary people. We're going to marvel at all the great stuff that God can do. So for starters, let's look at Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. If you use your phone or your iPad, that's fine. If you don't have a Bible, that's cool. All the verses will be on the screen behind my head. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Luke 1, 26. And this is what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So if you remember from uh, last week, our teaching, uh, Angel Gabriel had appeared to a man named Zechariah, and Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, and the angel announced that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby. And then the the angel went on to describe all the great things that the baby was going to do, and that was John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist's mother, she's pregnant, as it just said, six months. She's six months along, and God is about to make his plans known to Mary. The text tells us that God sent the same angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth to speak with Mary. Now, a little side note about the town uh, Nazareth. It was actually, it was, there was nothing special about that town, especially in those days. It was forgettable. And I'm not saying that to try to slam Nazareth or anything like that. You want to Google it, look it up. There's almost nothing written about it back then. It, was a, it wasn't a major town worth capturing if you were a foreign enemy. It wasn't on a trade route. It, wasn't through, it didn't produce anything. According to reports, it only had one small well, so it could only support a very small population. It was a little bit of a black, uh, backwater town. There's also this rather unflattering comment that one of Jesus' future disciples makes about it when he hears the Messiah is coming from Nazareth. It's in John chapter 1, verse 46. Nathaniel's his name, and he says, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When he hears that that's where Jesus is from. And his point was, Nazareth was like this, ugh, really, Nazareth? We're going to go there today? It was not of anything of importance, right? He was just simply expression, expressing a common sentiment back then. And yet, this is where God sends the angel Gabriel to go find Mary. And this further shows that God doesn't care about what humans care about. He uses who he uses. He can take the smallest, most average, forgettable person in the most backwater town that nobody cares about and then change the world. So let's move on to verse 27. Let's see what happens next. Remember, this is the angel Gabriel being sent to Nazareth. So Gabriel sent to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So like a lot of the details in the Gospels, uh, every little piece of information there is listed for a reason. Every bit matters. So for one, Luke tells us that she was a virgin, Mary. And this matters because he wants us to know that what's about to happen, that what is coming is due to God alone. And this child is not going to be any child. He's going to be the Messiah. For example, God did not just happen to pick a nice young couple in Nazareth and go, hey, they're going to produce their own kid. Boom, I'm going to give him a new job. He's going to be the Messiah. Everything about this was going to come from God alone. He was going to intervene in this world. This is very specific, very intentional. That's the point that Luke is making. This is not done by human action at all. 
And next he tells us Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. This means that they had been promised. And back then, that was kind of a, it's very, very different than engagements are today. Most times back then, it was actually the bride's father and either the groom or the groom's parents that made the arrangements. And they sometimes did this quite, a, quite uh, a long time before the couple even met. Now, when they actually came and made this formal agreement, a deal was struck. They actually signed something. There was a witness, and this was called a ketubah. And once the ketubah was signed, the groom would then leave. He'd go back to his house, and he'd start to prepare the room that they were going to live, or their own house, whatever he'd do. And then he would come back once that was all done, and they'd have the ceremony. After the ceremony, he would then take her back to his house. So he would be gone many times, like I said, for, for a year Quite a long time. And part of this agreement, since they didn't really know each other, they didn't always live in the same town, part of the agreement was that they would remain faithful to whoever they were engaged to. This was obviously important, and as we're going to see, this is going to be an important part of the story that is going to come up in just a little bit. Now Luke tells us uh, something else about Joseph that matters. He says, Joseph will be the baby's earthly father, and Joseph is from the line of King David. This is very significant because all the Messianic prophecies, they talk about how the Messiah will be a descendant of King David. Now, just as one, as one example of those prophecies I want to share from the Old Testament, this, is, this one we're going to read from 2 Samuel is actually the prophet Nathaniel telling King David that the Messiah will come from his line. So it's 2 Samuel 7. He says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offering to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne, his kingdom forever. Now, interestingly, Joseph, he's not the only descendant of King David. Mary is also descended through King David as well. And just for context, um, she came through one of David's sons, and his name was Nathan as well. Nathan was one of Solomon's brothers. So when David actually had a whole bunch of wives, a whole bunch of children, but through one of his wives, Bathsheba, he had Solomon and Nathan. And she was descended through King David through actually Nathan. Now here's where the story gets interesting. This is where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and he gives her this great message. It's going to be verses 28 and 29. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. All right, I want to stop here for just a second. We need to look at this a little deeper. I don't think we do this story justice. If we just read that, we kind of imagine a hallmark moment. right? Like this was just very idyllic, very picturesque. I don't say that to be controversial. I say that to be real. Because let's, let's look at this from Mary's point of view. First of all, who here has a Bible in their house, right? Who here knows the story that I'm going to talk about for the rest of the day, all right? We all know what's going to happen. This is all happening to Mary for the first time. She has no idea what's about to happen. She has no idea the Messiah is going to come through her. She has no idea the Holy Spirit's going to do it. She has no idea an angel is about to visit her, right? So, all the, so even though we know this, she does not. So this is really a big deal. No one taught her this. She probably had some basic knowledge about the future Messiah, but never in this detail, right? So again, Mary's just sitting there one day doing her thing, playing on her phone, Candy Crush, whatever, right? <laughs> Killing time. In Nazareth, remember, it's boring. There's not a lot of shopping there or anything. And this angel appears just poof, right in front of her. And he says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, if you look closely at her response, she's not actually happy or thrilled. What description do we get? Luke says she was greatly troubled. 
greatly troubled. Now, ladies, imagine you have a day, and at the end of your day, you either had to say it was a good day or I was greatly troubled. This was the kind of day Mary was having. This is what the angel brought to her. This wasn't something like she's sitting there going, oh, you scared me a little. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, you know. She was greatly troubled. This was huge. She was deeply agitated. The Greek word here uh, for greatly troubled is actually diatarasso, and it means distressed to the limit. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? What does it feel like when you're distressed to the limit? Like in my house with you know, you know, my kids and everything. There's a limit, right? She is at that limit physically and emotionally. This is huge. It also, the other way to describe this, um, the Greek word diatarasso, to agitate greatly, to, to disturb wholly, to go back and forth between physical and emotional feelings. You get the picture of what's going on? This is a big deal. This isn't, like I said, some hallmark moment where she's like, oh, and then everything's great. She's losing it. This is huge, right? She's genuinely distressed. It freaked her out. That's what we would say today. She was scared. And what does the angel say to her? Because it's what angels always say to someone when they appear to them. He says, do not be afraid. And why do they have to say that? Because the person is afraid. They're very scared. We saw that last weekend when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, the same thing. Mary's now scared, and we know this because of what he tells her in verse 33. But the angel said to her what? Everyone say it. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So he says, don't be afraid. You found favor. Now that phrase, you have found favor with God, has actually caused quite a bit of debate and some controversy over the centuries, uh, mainly between denominations, mostly between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. And it really comes down to this idea, and this is important that we get this right. Did Mary earn her highly favored status? Did she do things to like put check marks and get that? Or was she blessed and highly favored because God was going to work through her? And that's, yes, that's actually the correct answer. Yes, she was a godly woman. Absolutely, she had faith, and we're going to see that. But there's no indication she earned what was coming. She didn't earn her right to be Jesus' birth mother. She didn't earn it any more than the disciples earned their right to be disciples. They didn't earn that right, did they? Jesus chose them. God uses ordinary, imperfect people, and in spite of their weaknesses, and we're going to talk to this more in a little bit, really do some amazing things. God is the one doing the work. We are just the instrument. Right? We've talked about this, especially last week. We humans, and I've done this too, we tend to take people that are listed in the Bible, the ones listed by name, and we tend to put them on a little bit of a pedestal, lift them up, raise them up a little higher than ourselves, think of them as a little better. Anyone ever done that? Like if I, list, if I list off some of the disciples, Peter, James, John, how many of you would feel comfortable standing right next to them talking about Jesus? Anybody raise your hand? No? Why not? Don't they, in your mind, they feel more disciple or something, right? I know, that, but regardless, you know where I'm getting at, and that we can't do that. We shouldn't do that. When we do that, with, with Mary, Joseph, the disciples, we put enormous space between us and them. We put space between what God can do for each one of us. And that space is extraordinarily dangerous because the devil drives an 18-wheeler truck just right through that and stays there. And that's all all it takes is for us to look at them and say, yeah, but they're different. There's something more about them. 
And then guess what? You turn off your ear and your heart to God, to what he can do. Because we're going to see he called Mary. He called Joseph. They didn't do that. All they did was answer their call. Same thing with the disciples. So if you do that and place everybody up, what do you do? You don't listen for that call. Or if you hear that, you're like, yeah, there's just no way. There's no way. And we can't do that. God is the one who does this. He calls us to a new life. He doesn't force you. Jesus never forced the disciples to do anything, did he? He simply called them, and they answered. Now, here's another really big point to consider. Did Jesus ask the disciples for a resume, spiritual or otherwise? Did he? No, of course not. It sounds funny. He didn't care. Did he ask for Mary and Martha? They were part of the, did he ask for their resume? No, he didn't care. So let's talk about Mary Magdalene for a second. Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her before she crossed paths with Jesus. Seven. Now just to make a point, we're going to count those demons. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven demons she had in her. Does anybody have any demons in them right now? No. See, and then, well, here's a great trivia question about her. Who is the very first person in history to tell others the tomb was empty and Jesus rose from the dead? Mary Magdalene. She was one of the first ones there. The tomb was empty. The angels said, he's not here. What does she do? She runs back and finds the disciples who are still doing what? Hiding behind locked doors. The big, strong man, woo, hiding out. She's the first person to do that. So if you don't have seven demons in you, guess how many demons ahead you are than she was when she started? God uses who he uses. If that's what he can do through her, what can he do through you? She didn't earn that. She didn't deserve it. She was blessed, and God called her. So if you have faith, God will call you too. He will call you to do something you could have never imagined you'd do on your own. Now at this point, we want to pause for just a moment. We want to switch and we want to talk about Joseph a little bit. The reason we do this is because we're at the point of the story with Mary where the angel Gabriel is about to tell her all about Jesus and all the great things. But what we want to do today is focus a little more on the people behind that. So let's switch to Joseph, see what happened to him up to that point, and then we'll join back and we'll see what the angel tells them, right? So let's switch to Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 1. We're going to start at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, 18. This, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So first off, this is very similar to what we uh, learned about Mary. We learned they were pledged to be married. It's very likely they had not met or maybe spent very, very little time together before the engagement. Again, the engagement would have lasted probably at least a year and would have included a clause for purity on both sides. If either side didn't remain faithful, they would break the engagement or divorce. And remember, divorces, breaking this stuff, if that happened, um, infidelity was not like today. Uh, adultery of any kind back then could result in what penalty? Do you know? The death penalty. Death by stoning. Right? And if you want to read the actual reference for it, it's in De- Deuteronomy chapter 22. That was a penalty. The point was it wasn't just hurt feelings, or like today. Hurt feelings and you have to what, return the gift at the registry or whatever, right? This could result in someone being stoned to death. 
This was huge. So when we read, again, don't go through this quickly, when you read this stuff, they were pledged to be married and what? She was pregnant by someone else. This was huge. This is not a Hallmark movie. People read this story and they're like, oh. This is a nuclear bomb going off in their relationship, in their small town. This is going to be huge. So let's read verse 19. Let's see how Joseph reacts because his reaction is going to tell us a lot about his character and his beliefs. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to a public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So I don't know if you noticed, there's a big change from verse 18 to 19. In verse 18, it says Mary and Joseph had, were pledged to be married. Now in verse 19, it says he's listed as her husband. So as the story progressed, somewhere in there, they either got married or they were close enough to the actual ceremony that the general public considered them to be fully married. I mean, they were close enough, it didn't really matter. right? But because he was faithful to the law, he wanted to divorce her quietly. Again, this was a lot more serious back then today. Once you were engaged, it was a real deal. Now, here's what's interesting. This is where we got to pull back for a second and think about this. Again, when you read these stories, don't go quickly and go, oh, yes. How do you think Joseph found out? Did one of his buddies tell him? It doesn't tell us. Did he just happen to see her one day? The bump? We don't know how he found out. But they're considered husband and wife... And it's not his. This is enormous. This is huge. Now, like a lot of, maybe a lot of men back then, even today possibly, would have had a very angry reaction, aggressive, whatever. But Joseph just wanted to get a quiet divorce. He wanted this to be over. He was, again, likely he was patient. He was kind and godly man. He wasn't looking to use the law as a hammer. He certainly could have. And he wanted to make this go away quietly. But it probably wasn't just for her sake, but also for his sake. Men, I want you to listen to me for a second. And answer truthfully. Let's say you're engaged. You haven't seen your fiancé for a year. You finally meet her, and she's... You can either... Everybody's going to know about it, if they haven't already. So you can either divorce her quietly, or you can have her stoned at the main city gate. Which one is likely to bring more attention to you? The stoning. So what do you want to do? Let's just make it go away. Let's just, just, let's just make it go away. So likely he was doing it for him and for her. But regardless, it was in the works. Like today we would have said he already talked to an attorney. He'd already had the paperwork drawn up. This was like, this was happening. It was done. So this wasn't like... Oh, what a great story. This is huge. This is enormously uncomfortable for both of them. But another thing, we need to ask ourselves a question. Why? Why did God tell Mary that she was being pregnant way before he told Joseph? Why did Mary find out so much earlier? Here's another thing, gentlemen. Think about this. If your fiancé found out months before she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, wouldn't it have been great if she told you? Sent you a little piece of papyrus with that written on there. Anything, throw me a bone here. It didn't happen. So the question is, why? Well, it doesn't tell us. We don't know. What we do know, though, is if you really look closely at these stories, when God intervenes in humans' lives, 
He tells them what they need to know when they need to know it. He doesn't operate by our standards. He knew it was going to work, but likely, and this is what he does and he'll do for you, he will use that situation to grow your faith and your trust, which, meaning, which means you're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to have faith. He was using the situation for both of them. Because remember, I don't know if you know the story, I'll tell you. Jesus is born. They don't go live in the suburbs somewhere like in Jerusalem and have a nice picket white house, picket fence, all that kind of stuff. What happens after Jesus is born? They have to flee to Egypt. Because King Herod is sending troops to kill every child two years and under. So that was going to take faith to get a vision saying, hey, we have to pack up now, now and go to a foreign country and try to start a whole new life. It was going to take faith to do that. So God was building them up. They were just simply going to have faith to trust. So God was using this. So having said all that, let's see how Joseph responds to this pregnancy. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, which means the divorce and all that kind of stuff, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now again, I, wanna, I, I bring this up regularly when we, kept, when we tell these stories, but I want you to understand how important and how outlandish this would have felt from Joseph's angle. We know this story. We've heard it. A lot of times, many of us, since childhood. But this would have been so outlandish and so crazy to Joseph, right? There was no precedent for this. There was no prophecy that spelled it out in this detail where John heard us from the angel and goes, oh, I'm that guy. I heard that story. Oh, how cool. He had no idea. And remember, ladies, everyone, she, Mary was visited by an angel face to face, right? She was scared, irritated, all that stuff. How did Joseph find out? In a dream. Dude, I've had some crazy dreams in my life. Did you know that? Have you guys not had them? And yet, what was the angel, what was he being asked to do? Just trust. Trust. Trust in God. Trust in your wife. It's going to be okay. So this was big stuff that was going on. Right? And that's pretty impressive. We've got to give Joseph a lot of credit. It shows a lot of faith, a lot of obedience. Next, the text, the text tells us what Joseph does when he wakes up, right? Verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So it appears Joseph hit the ground running. He simply had faith and did what the angel told him in the dream. He, they get married, and in time she gives birth. So now that we've learned a little about both Mary and Joseph prior to their marriage, let's go a little deeper into what the angel told them about the son they were going to have. And that we need to do this for two reasons. One, because it's the whole reason we have this holiday that's coming up, Christmas. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was coming into this world. So we want to see, we want to learn about all the great stuff the angel says is going to happen through him. The second reason is just important. We need to see how God is going to use two imperfect people to impact the world. Because every one of us falls into that category. They are not more special. They are not different. They are sinful. They have sinned in their lives. They've broken God's laws. They need to be saved just like us. Again, they're not special. Now, I do have some friends who are a Catholic that are very ruffled when I say Mary was nothing special. All right? We place them on this pedestal. 
but I'm telling you what the Bible says about them. And I want to get very specific. They didn't earn their spot. Nobody earns anything from God. Everything we have from his is a gift. And you know how? Let's read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And then read the next part out loud, everybody. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Why? Not by works. So why? No one can boast. Everything we have is a gift from God. And he gave it to us free because he knows what we're going to do otherwise. Boast. We're going to brag. The other thing is, you know how we know all people have sinned and fallen short? Bible tells us that too. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at your Bible closely. There's not a little asterisk. And you go at the very bottom of your page and it says, except for Mary and Joseph. It doesn't say that. That's period. All have sinned. Period. Right? So that's the main point. We all have done that. So Mary and Joseph, in that respect, they're nothing special. They didn't earn their place. Again, everyone look at me, because this is important. This is how we make this such a big deal. God is doing the work, not them. And if he can do that through them, and that's why also we talk about Mary Magdalene, the seven demons. If he can do that through her, what can he do through you? We would be doing you a horrible injustice if we allowed you to think that they're better than you somehow. It's not true. God is the one who's going to do this, right? And when we do that without realizing, we put limits on what God's going to do. That's not true. In order for us to, to be called and to be used that way, we have to hear. We have to be willing to listen to God so that he can use us any way he sees fit. If we think that they're special and better somehow, it happens. We close our minds, we close our ears and our hearts, and we say, yeah, but that's, I, can't do, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't, I'm not, no, no. Again, think about if you were standing next to all 12 disciples, all 12, and you're like the thir- 13th one, like you're like the fifth beetle, but you're like the 13th disciple. You're all up here on stage. You're going to tell everybody your story about what you believe. Who here would feel comfortable going, oh yeah, totally, make me 13? Anybody? No, why? You do that to yourself. You're telling yourself you're not worthy to be up there. That is false. You didn't hear that from God. You certainly didn't hear from Jesus or the disciples. That is you being human and thinking you can't do that. And that's what the devil drives a Mack truck through. And he parks it there and he's like, yeah, you're right. That's why you can't do it. That's why we make such a big deal about this. Here's another good reason. When you look, go back to the Bible, some of the big names, the big names, nod your head if you've heard these names, Moses, Abraham, Peter, Paul, Do you know they were train wrecks? Abraham got so scared at one point, he made his wife pretend to be his sister to save his life. Dudes, have you done that before? You feel comfortable doing that? That's what he did. Moses, did you know Moses committed murder and anger and did such a horrible job, everybody saw him do it? You know those crime shows where they walk you through it? It'd take like a 30-second episode. It was Moses. Everybody saw him. Peter, oh, this is a doozy. Peter, look Jesus in the face. I will never deny you. I will give my life for you. I will never deny you. Three hours later, what's he doing? I've never heard of him. Never heard of him. Don't know the guy. Paul, oh, this is a doozy. Paul, the dude who wrote most of your New Testament. You know what he did before he came to believe? His job was hunting people like you down. 
He was like ISIS. This is no joke. Imagine if you tried to start a church right now in Syria, Afghanistan, and the way ISIS would treat you, hunt you down, and try to kill you is how he, that was his job. And there's every reason to believe when he finally met the disciples, they were like, whoa, no, 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 no. That guy's awful. But God called him. He answered God's call. They did awful things, but they still answered God's call. They had faith, and look what God did through them. And that's what we need to know about Mary and Joseph, the same thing. They simply answered his call, and God worked through them. And he can do the exact same thing through every one of you. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. Now here's where we're going to come to the best part of the story. Here's where we get to learn a little bit about Jesus coming into this world. And we get to learn to look at, we're going to look at it through Mary and Joseph's eyes, what they are being told. The first part is from Luke chapter 1, 31 to 33. Luke chapter 1. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary's told he's going to be called Son of the Most High, meaning God the Father himself. Now, that term Most High doesn't mean a whole lot to us today because we don't really talk like that, but back then this would have been huge, monumental. Today, we know about Jesus. We feel comfortable. You can approach God. You can walk into this church. You can, truthfully, you know you can walk anywhere in this church and nothing's going to happen to you, right? Every one of you can even come up here and touch and nothing's going to happen to you, right? That's what Christianity, that's what we have because of Jesus Christ. Their world was the exact opposite. The God they knew was distant, powerful, angry. Their synagogue, if you want to go to Jerusalem, sometimes just, you can see, they'll describe it to you and you can show pictures the temple was broken up into sections. There was a wall around the outside where Gentiles could go. There were many sections inside. Guess what? We could not go. There was a section for the women. There was a section for the Jewish men. And there was another section for the priestly class. And finally, one of those priests, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies only once a year. If you did any of that wrong, specifically up here, guess what happened? You're struck dead. That was their church. I know, we, you know, and that's why I know people laugh when I go, you know, you can touch this and you'll be fine. That, that was their world. That's what they knew. And now Jesus was coming, the son of the most high was going to be born to Mary. So I, we can't put ourselves, we try in her mindset, what, how that would have just like, what that meant. That was huge. He was going to live here among us. Terribly hard for her to comprehend. The Israelites have never experienced anything like this. He was going to reign. He was going to be given the throne of King David, and he would rule forever. And back then, at that point in time, the Jews were still being ruled by the Romans. They weren't even a free people. A little over 500 years before, their temple that they had was destroyed by the Babylonians. Now then the Greeks came through, had all kinds of trouble. Now the Romans came through, same kind of thing. They were not a free people. And Jesus was going to come to this world to save them. This was huge. Now let's look what um, the angel tells Joseph about Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1, 21, 25. Very similar message. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said to the prophet. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with, God's with us. So Joseph's given a similar message, but a little deep more detail when it comes to sins. Again, this would have been very big, very big, because the Israelites, they had that system of sacrifices. Again, weird question. Anybody sacrificed an animal recently? No, yeah. Why? We don't have to do that. That hasn't happened for 2,000 years. Before Jesus, that's what they did. That was the way they atoned for their sins. That was the only way to atone. You were sinful. You couldn't approach God. There are areas of the temple you were absolutely not allowed to go to, not because the priest said, because of God said that. And the only way to even potentially for a little bit take away some of that sin was to sacrifice an animal. That was your world. That's all you knew. And now all of that was going to change because of Jesus Christ. And he was going to be given the name Emmanuel. Now, we think Emmanuel, oh, that sounds nice, like a little hallmark. Oh, that's wonderful. He was going to live among his people. He was going to be here in the flesh. He was going to be born. He's got a physical body. He was going to eat and breathe, and he was going to grow up. He was going to have disciples, and they would walk, they just walk around the countryside, and people could talk to him. And ask questions. And people who are horribly sick with leprosy, no one wanted to touch, they could go right up to him. And again, Mary and Joseph had no way to comprehend this, but this was enormous. These names meant something real. He was removing that wall between God and us and that separation. We could relate to him. We were going to be asked to follow him. Literally, his footsteps. So with Christmas fast approaching, here is what we need to know. This is what matters. Jesus Christ came into this world to save us, every one of us. No matter what you have done, good or bad, he came to save you, to wash away your sins and make you new. And once you believe, there is no telling what he could do through you. That's why we we take time to highlight all the stuff, the humanness that all the people in the Bible do, because they are no different than you. Do not ever do yourself a disservice and think that you're different. You're not. God is the one who does the work. So like we always do in this church, we want to give everybody the chance to know Jesus Christ. If you've not accepted him into your heart, if you've ever said, I believe, I want to to be saved, we're going to do that in just a minute. We're going to say a prayer. All you have to do is say the words that I say quietly to yourself. Whatever you say is between you and God. There's no test. But we're also going to pray for everyone else, to all of us, for strength, to remain true to God. We're going to pray for God to use each one of us as he sees fit. Okay? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me. I ask him to save me. And I ask him to guide my steps for the rest of my life. And Father, Today, we, we pray for strength to endure all trials. May everything we go through, both good and bad, may they strengthen our faith, our resolve, and may we always lean on you. Father, today, we also recommit ourselves to you. Many times in life, we're pulled away. We fall out of sync with you for a variety of reasons, but today, we make the choice to recommit. It's our choice, and we choose you. Father, we also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you. Because it's only through your son 
that we have hope. Father, we pray that as our faith grows, you will use each one of us as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us, and we thank you for the church. But most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's his name we ask all these things. Amen.